0: So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one of a kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door.
2: I will say this about investing: everything you do learn 10 10. What I learned at twenty is usually...
1: Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we help you learn to invest in forty-five minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend, so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name's Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro?
3: I'm very good, Bryce. I'm really looking forward to this interview.
1: Yes, bit of a different one this time, continuing with our expert investor series, but this one we're really looking forward to because we're going to be able to have a conversation about an asset class that we don't really talk about much on the show, and that is crypto. Very much looking forward to hearing our guests' thoughts on that. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Fred Shabasta to the show. Welcome, Fred, all the way from Poland at the moment.
4: Yeah, much much love. And my friend Copernicus is here as well. He's a good guy.
1: <laughs> is Abraham also in the background or
4: <laughs> Abraham Lincoln is a good guy as well. I love those guys. Anyway, come at you. And guys, do subscribe to this podcast. It's where it's at. This is this is the podcast to listen to.
1: <laughs> well, for those that don't know who Fred is, uh, Freddy's co-founder of Finder.com and uh, also founder of hivex.com, which is a cryptocurrency brokerage. So very much looking forward to diving into the crypto side of things a bit later on. He also has on his resume EY Entrepreneur of the Year in the services category for 2017. Blockchain Entrepreneur of the Year 2019. Business Insiders 2016. Coolest 100 people in Aussie tech. That's the one I love the most. And also is 22nd on AFR's Young Rich List 2019. So Fred, a pretty amazing resume. Thanks again for taking your time to speak to us.
4: You know what? I suggest if anyone wants to win the coolest award, it's about cutting your hair.
1: Yes. You have gone through uh, quite a quite a variety of hairstyles over the year, I've noticed. What's the story behind
4: that? It's about personal branding, Bryce, you know. You got to be recognizable. You got to stand out because if you've got something to say, you know, if you committed to winning,
1: then you may as well put on a bit of an image with it as well. Interesting. Well, Ren's bald, so he has no chance of cutting his hair and making a bit of a <laughs> statement. What do you suggest he does?
4: That too. That's tattoo. That's my tattoo tattoo personal <laughs> put, a, put a Bitcoin symbol on your head. I reckon everyone will remember that.
3: Not bad, not bad. Well, if you can sell me on crypto by the end of this episode, maybe I'll think about it. <laughs> That's,
1: right. That's right. So today's episode is... Going to be a bit of an exploration about entrepreneurship and and crypto. We're going to dig into the story of how you went about, I guess, getting Finder off the ground. We're very interested in in the story. But I guess to kick off, before we get into your sort of earlier life, we hear that you have a samurai sword that hangs outside the kitchen in the Finder office. And Alec and I have actually been to the Finder office. It's a pretty groovy office. Can you explain the story behind that?
4: Yeah, so... You know, samurai swords, number one, are very hard to import into Australia. And that's because they're extremely dangerous. And what we learned from that whole idea and and, and the idea of something being very dangerous and, you know, it it is a genuine samurai sword, is we were marketing very aggressively into Google with um, SEO. And just like the samurai sword, we actually cut ourselves because we pushed it too hard and um, we got penalized by Google, and what that means is you drop all your rankings drop about two hundred places, and you lose about eighty percent of your traffic overnight now it's not like you get a fine or anything you know you know it's not illegal, but you basically get put into the google jail, and what we had to do then is repair that and for three months straight with no traffic, we worked out eventually how to fix it, and uh, we we brought the site back and we bought that samurai sword to commemorate the idea, the cultural concept that the tactics that we use on the internet in our internet marketing can not only be very powerful, but they can be very dangerous as well. So you don't want to push it too far.
3: Hey, Fred, I hear that there's a robotic handbag that hangs next to the samurai sword these days. Is there an equally good story behind that piece of kit as well?
4: Yeah. So we were thinking about you know I always think about how to how to how to stand out, how to create something and be talkable, be interesting because I think most things are boring, like you think about everyday life, think about last week, did anything really happen? Not really, and that's because to be talkable, you either have to be really, really, really bad or really, really really, really interesting and good. so with the bag, we thought, hey. You know, if you want to stop people spending, let's give them a bag where at a certain period in time, you know, like Friday at like eleven o'clock till two a.m., it just closes. <laughs> so it was a pretty crazy idea. Uh, so then we got a bunch of bunch of sort of robotic students in Ireland to build this thing, and we built it, and it, and it does work. It's got like a Arduino processor in it, and it's it's genuinely incredible. You can program it in via GPS as well. Anyway, so we, we put this thing together and eventually it, it escalated so much. We, put it, we got it on the Today Show in New York, which it just, that obviously sent it supersonic and it was just a pretty, yeah. it was a good idea. It was a way, we're trying to say, you know, Finder helps you save money. You know, here's another way we've tried to do that as well. It's kind of zany. But, um, yeah, people picked up on it. They liked it.
3: Any plans to commercialize it and roll it out? Yeah, there was a company in Germany
4: that actually contacted me and said, hey, can we license your iBag? I was like, I suppose, (laughs) yes, it was an idea. Actually, no, there was another company. So I can't remember where they were in Taiwan or something. They wanted, they too wanted to just, they wanted to commercialize it and they wanted to own the rights. And I was like, you know, sure, I guess I'll sell it to you. But it was definitely a, um, yeah, we 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 didn't take it any further because you know I haven't got that mastery of robotics and manufacturing.
3: Fair enough, fair enough. We'll, we'll watch the space and we'll see if it gets released at some point. So, Fred, you started there by saying that you think most things in life are boring. But if we look at your life, it seems to be anything but. I think you'd be the definition of a serial entrepreneur. Everyone knows you for Finder and the finder.com.au jingle, but that wasn't your first venture, your first entrepreneurial experience. So if we start at the beginning and we start with your first company that you founded, can you tell us about Freestyle Media, what it was and what it was like founding a company at just 22 years old?
4: You know, I was a, a rebel really in school. I, you know, I studied when I could, but I I just I just wasn't a very good student. I was never going to be the number one academic, if you know what I mean. There's a lot the lot, of, a lot of guys were a lot smarter in doing that than me. But what was always interesting is I actually at school, I, I played in the top tennis team, but I also played in the top chess team. Most people don't know that about me. And I could actually beat the smartest kid in the school at chess. And what that sort of, you know, said to me was that you do, it's not all about academics. Life isn't about all about academics. It's it's also about strategy. It's about vision. It's about communication. And so when I went to university, I was studying actuarial studies. And at one point, I don't know if you know, actuarial studies is like deep maths. And,
1: <laughs> yeah, and, I was going to say.
4: <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm not like a bad mathematician. I'm pretty good. But I, let's just say these guys were next level. And I'm hanging out with these guys. And I'm like, and I go to the, the lecturer after uni. And I said to him, hey, man, I've got a, you know, a question about this problem. We finished talking about the problem. And he goes, I go at the end, and go, I, I, I just got to stop you. I got one more question. I don't really understand what's going on here. And the lecturer goes, I know. And I said, I said, okay, well, what does that mean for me in the future? He goes, well, Fred, you're going to be the guy that talks to the clients. And I said, okay, right. I see what's going on here. So I, you know, I, I realized this was not the, my mastery, right? Cause I reckon you can talk to clients in any industry. And what I needed to do is go and find something I was passionate about. And when I was at uni, I started looking at the internet and I, I looked at it and I said, I can build the internet. Why not? Why don't I have to figure out how to, you know, look at these look at these guys out here as if they can just build the internet. Why can't I build it as well? So I, I pulled out a browser and I started building little websites and over time, I started getting that, you know, to a point I was pretty competent. I got my friend involved and we were, we were building, we were kind of take over the world and build the next YouTube. And We hadn't made any money, but my next door neighbor said to me, hey, do you want to build my website for me? I said, yeah, sure. No worries. Like, you know, at the time I was pretty depressed because I was, you know, failing university because I stopped turning up and I was essentially playing computer games during the night and I would sleep during the day and then I would code little websites whenever I could, which just for fun. Anyway, so... I stopped searching for the next website, you know, but deep down I wanted to build a website one day. I I always wanted to build one that, you know, did something, but I thought, look, I don't know exactly how to go about doing that. And my, my next door neighbor, he basically said, can you build a website for me? And I said, sure. He said, how much are you going to charge me? I said, charge you he said yeah figure out how much to charge me anyway i I charged him like two and a half grand or something and it was more money you know that's two thousand or something like that it was more money than i've ever seen in my life and i was so happy anyway so i thought well this is a business and i started doing that and that's what freestyle media turned into building people's websites and doing seo for them but always along that journey i wanted to you know i wanted to build a website because i saw how the internet worked at its core And I kept that dream and I parked it to the side and I sort of, you know, kept on going. And Freestyle Media was a brutal business. It was an absolutely brutal business. It was the business of basically you rent people out and you charge more money than you pay them. You know, agency businesses are unbelievably brutal. And the agency, you know, business all around the world, that, that model is just crumbling right now. It's similar to the legal business. I think that's crumbling. An accounting business, that's crumbling as well. Just this agency of basically renting people for more than you pay them and getting them to work as hard as possible. It's just, it wasn't really aligned to me as a person. I learned a lot on how to build websites and I could personally code them. I could personally do the
1: SEO and that's sort of what led to the creation of Finder really. So yeah, Fred, you ended up selling that Freestyle Media in 2007. Is that correct? We got the business
4: to be profitable. We went through a lot of problems. I think we owed the tax office a quarter of a million dollars at one point, which was scary. So I actually mortgaged my shares. You know, I I got a margin loan on my shares to pay the payroll. I remember that month. Wow.
1: Quite the experience as a twenty two year old, I guess, trying to get your, your first company up and running. But then I guess would have felt absolutely phenomenal to have sold that. I imagine there are a few beers afterwards.
4: You know, back then I was very happy. I actually thought I was at the top of my life, which was really weird. I, I sort of thought, you know, this is it. And then it kind of faded off and I realized, you know, that was just
1: the beginning. Mm. So then 2009 was when you got Finder off the ground. What was the initial concept? We all know it now is that as this behemoth of comparisons between almost anything you can think of. What was the... I guess, the first product or, or was it a, a comparison site to begin with?
4: You know, Frank and I, we, we sat around in this room and we wanted to build a website. And 2006, actually, we had this second company and we put 18 different ideas on A4 pieces of paper and we kind of all voted. There was three of us. We all voted on the idea. And just by chance, you know, there was there was a poker site, there was a sports betting site, and one of them was a was credit card finder. And, you know, all these ideas, we actually got off the ground and they started operating. But just credit card finder seemed it just kept on being the most scalable. You know, we knew a lot about finance because we'd struggled for seven years, you know, trying to build this agency and we lived on actually nothing. Mm. We used to have to go and, you know, break into restaurant toilets and and steal toilet paper because, you know. That was the way to. We just didn't have the money. We didn't have a toilet seat. And that was brutal as well. But anyway, you know, we knew all the ways to save money. we were very conscious, so we started writing about it on this blog. And the first thing I wrote was a student credit card guide, and that just blew up. It was I just blew up on Google, and you know, obviously I'd, I'd pay back all the restaurants the toilet paper with custom now. So you know, I'm very generous. <laughs>
3: So Fred, you, you started with guides for student credit cards and now I think you, know, you compare more than 100 different categories in Australia, let alone what you compare across the world. What was the journey from starting with credit cards to realising that you might actually have something here and then seeing it grow?
4: You know, I've actually got the bank statements back in 2000. I can't remember what it was. Yeah. I looked at them the other day and it was like, you know, the revenue was 300 bucks a month and $500 then $800 then $1,200. And at the end of, you know, the bank statement, it was two and a half grand. You know, it's just incremental. It's just small wins. It's, it's put another page on the internet, you know, improve this, make it better for the user. Just the simple things that, you know, to build a business. And I kind of innately knew what to do. Because I'd been doing it for seven years for clients. And I think that you know what's instructive about that is I believe great businesses come from mastery. You know, It's about the grind and the things that you learn in the beginning. And you take those masteries and you turn them into a business. And I think what I mastered was internet marketing, building websites, understanding the user. And my business partner, Frank, as well, he, he knew the same thing. And then a guy called Jeremy Cabral joined us, and he's a he's a great internet marketer and a great operator as well. And I don't actually think I'm a very good coder. I actually think I'm pretty pretty nasty. I'm actually, I'm not a good writer. I'm not a good you know product person or a sales guy. Like, I can do a little bit of all those things, but I think what I'm really good at, and it comes down to it, is a set of vision of what we can become. I communicate it very clearly and i find the best people and i and i ask them to join me on this journey and they're the people that have made finder there are there's some unbelievably great people in 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 finder and they're very passionate about what they do and they they help a lot of people with making decisions all around the world as well what i'm saying is find that thing that you are a master of so internet marketing was one thing i knew how it sort of worked and i was okay at it But next level, I had to recreate myself and find to go to the next level. To go from like, you know, a nice website operating, you know, it's making some money to getting bigger. And then, you know, 20 people, 50 people, you hit 100 people and the game changes. You know, I think Finder's got 400 people. I walked into the office for the first time here in Poland two days, you know, yesterday. And there were 40 people in the office. 40 people I've never met. I'm like, wow, what has like this, you know, this is really ha- you know, this is on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what have other people been doing inside Finder to create such greatness, you know, makes sense now. But, you know, to then master the next level, you need to keep reinventing yourself, right? So you need to keep finding what are you a genius at? What is your genius? What is the thing that you have, you're 10x better than someone else? And you keep having to find, refine that because you eventually, you go, oh, this is my thing. And then after a while, you realize, well, actually, I've hired someone who's better than me at that. So I'm going to stop doing that. I've probably done this at least 50 times easily. And you know, even now, I would say I'm reinventing myself again to find that role where I'm 10x better than anyone else.
3: I'm interested in this concept because I reckon there's a lot of listeners, and I'm definitely doing it thinking, what am I 10x better than other people at? And I guess if you put yourself in your shoes in 2009, did you know at the time that you were, you know, you were 10x better at internet marketing, some of these things? Or is that something you've sort of realized in hindsight that you were so much better than other people at it?
4: I could tell that I was, you know, very strong at it. And I don't think necessarily the, people would pay us for how good we were at it i sort of combined that you know strength with a mindset of second is the first of the losers and i was relentlessly going to win that what i was you know focused upon it was not negotiable so i think those two things were really where what what helped I think today, you know, a lot of other companies have caught up. They copy Finder. You know, they see it as like, oh, this is a great way to do it. What's Finder doing? Sure, I'll copy that. Great. Thank you very much. But I think that's – I love that. I love how people copy Finder because to me, it says you don't know. You're not innovating. You're just copying. You don't know what's coming next. And I love being in that position. It's fun.
1: (laughs) When you speak about internet marketing, I mean, we absolutely understand the power of internet marketing on, you know, trying to get the podcast off the ground and that sort of stuff. I'm wondering if you have a story about I guess in the early days perhaps a campaign or something that you you put in place that absolutely went gangbusters or you thought wow that that really worked and was was different at the time.
4: One day I came into the office and you know I have these crazy ideas all the time and everyone knows I do this but sometimes I they're pretty good. Most of the time they're pretty bad, but sometimes they're pretty good. Anyway, I have to vet them. And I came in and I said, you know, it was the time of, it was like 2000 and I think it was the end of coming to the end of 2017 and Bitcoin at the time was just going on a meteoric rise. So I said, I, I, you know, and I wrote down this idea and I said, look, I didn't come up with the idea. I, I, someone else suggested to me, I sort of modified it a bit and I said, all right, let's make a treasure hunt and hide Bitcoin on the finder. So we went off and we put 25 little gifts of Bitcoin on Finder. And we put one press release out. And, it, and, and the story went straight up on the front page of news.com.au. And it said, you know, Finder's got, you know, it's hidden 25 Bitcoin on its site. You can find them. You got to go through the site. You got to log in to find it. You know, it's a pretty obvious idea. Finder, treasure hunt, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's not bad. <laughs> anyway so people just start coming out of nowhere and so many people logged in that we melted the hard drive that ran the website i'm talking right about- <laughs> and everyone's like going like freaking out the the the, the dev guys are like i told them, i went down and said guys this is gonna be a big campaign it's the biggest one they go we're ready for you man We've heard this before. We're ready for you baby. I'm like, you're not ready for this. This is going to this is this is going to be big. They're like, we're ready for you. Bring it, man. I go downstairs and they're like, you told us, yeah, I know. I know. I said, you know, I'm sitting there and a lot of people are freaking out. They're like, oh, this is, you know, absolutely terrible. I am absolutely cheering. I think it's the greatest thing to burn down your website. You have got to burn it down. That means you come up with a great idea. That means you've made You've, you've caught people's attention you've become relevant again you're actually relevant again you know and I think a comparison site at its core is pretty boring you know what I mean like it's fundamentally it's it's a kind of a boring thing to do it's not like you know you're looking at pictures of cats or watching Game of Thrones or you know you're playing some computer game like you're comparing stuff it's like oh god like comparing life insurance that's not what people want to do on a Sunday morning Yeah, you know, they need to do it right. It's a, it's a, it's sort of a grudge thing, but if you can just make it a bit relevant, I think that's what I've always tried to do. Is just you know, sure, burning down computer servers ain't great because you know people couldn't access the website for forty eight hours, but I still think it was a it was a win.
3: Hey, so Fred, is that the uh, is that the only time you've burnt down Finder's servers?
4: Nah, nah, I've done it a few times, but.
3: <laughs> are, there, are there any good stories behind any of the the other times?
4: Oh, what else? You know, uh, there's just you know other people have done it as well. Like you know, we did a great story once on credit scores. We did a great story on all sorts of things. You know, if you aim for the stars and you you give people the permission, so the third value at Finder is go live, and that means we have a bias to putting things live on the internet, and and it means it's got to be quality still. It's the third value. There's five values at Finder, and that third value is what inspires people to just take the initiative and get stuff done and push stuff out there and you know really do something and, and really push it. And we encourage that all the time. And so you know the site gets, unfortunately, it can get seriously hurt from time to time. But then we've learned to adapt to that now, and I think we don't tend to the site doesn't tend to go down as much because I think. Netflix, I think, has this idea where they get someone in their company to write code that goes and like destroys other code. It's called um, a chaos monkey. So they release the chaos monkey into their environment, their own environment. They see how well the company adapts and defends against it. And sometimes I think of myself as the chaos monkey (laughs) in all sorts of dimensions. But what it does is it stretches us to be more resilient to be more you know, mindful and, and then execute campaigns and ideas. Sometimes they don't come off, but next time we do it, we learn from it and we, we execute it even better than than before.
3: So Fred, there's a sort of stereotype of uh, founding a company and how it's meant to sort of happen these days. And a big part of that is people think that you have to go and raise money from venture capitalists and use that to then fund your business you guys did it a little different at finder so can you tell us what your thinking was and how you went about it and what that meant for the growth of your business for the last decade
4: yeah so you know I've been very big advocate of bootstrapping a company you know not raising money and the reason for that is I prefer to see a company actually make money. I know that sounds sounds strange, but there's so many companies out there that just, you know, lose money. You know, Uber doesn't make money. WeWork definitely doesn't make money. I don't think zero makes money. Atlassian doesn't make money. None of those companies actually make a profit. after paid as much as the share price has gone through the roof, it doesn't make a profit. And that's all fine when, you know, right now, you know, we're in a bull market and things are going up and that's great. But when it pulls back and people have a lot of debt, that's when the crashes happen. That's when those companies, you don't see them anymore because no one's lending them money. No one wants to raise, let them raise money or give them money, invest in them. You know They don't have the cash and they burn out and that's, that's when they go. And so I always thought, let's make a real company from the start. I never liked the idea of making a unicorn. I much prefer the idea of making a phoenix. And when I think of a phoenix... I think of a company that you know, like a company like Chrysler. I think it's a great company. It Reinvented itself. It brought out the 300C. You know, companies like Sony keep reinventing themselves. You know, they brought out the Walkman when they when they were building RAM. They brought out you know, like late in the game, they brought out the PlayStation. Like, what was Sony building a PlayStation for? But that's incredible that a company keeps surviving and enduring and reinventing itself. And that's what I want Finder to be like. That's what I've always thought. Keep reinventing itself. And the best way I think to do that, to learn how to do that is, you know, to go through the struggle of what it's like when you don't have any extra backup, you don't have any extra funds sitting in the bank account. You've just got to make it work. You've got to make it work. And that pressure we've always felt at Finder. And it makes us, I think, make, you know, much more frugal business decisions Maybe it's slowed us down in some way. Maybe it's, you know, we don't take as big of bets. But I think it has made a very robust company with, you know, a, a whole crew of people that know how to run a real company, like an actual company that makes money and is mindful of that. And I think, it's, I think a lot of companies, as they scale, they, they lose that. They go, you know, there are people doing jobs. They don't even know why they're doing them. And they don't really care about the, the actual profitability of the company and i think that's a problem you know that's sort of my belief around that
1: it's really interesting because i guess you know there'd be a lot of budding entrepreneurs listening to this who you know may be contemplating going down the bootstrap route versus i don't know maybe even taking on some debt through a bank or even getting some funding from the likes of a, a private investor and usually you would take the the funding or the debt to speed up growth just, I guess, to get in front of competition. How did you go about a, a growth strategy while you were bootstrapping? Because I guess it's, it's a lot harder to do without huge amounts of funds. What's sort of a piece of advice that you'd pass on to an entrepreneur who's kind of facing that fork in the road? You mean like how do you deal with not having the funds to to do everything that you want to do? Yeah, but I, I mean, like in this day and age, you know, money's so cheap, it seems tempting to go and take on debt to push growth, take on private investors. But if your belief is to bootstrap so that you can, I guess, endure the difficulties, what would your sort of main piece of advice be for someone who is facing that question?
4: Does that make sense? 100%. You know, Cheap money is extremely tempting, but it always comes with a price. And I think, you know, a lot of people look at that and you've got to have a really robust business model. You know, if you've just sort of hacked an idea or copied someone's idea or your actual business idea is okay, but it's not going to be that great. You're not going to get a very high valuation and you're basically going to hand over most of your company to someone and then they're going to put criteria around it. And if you you want to do that, that's fine. You know, maybe you don't want to own all of your company. Maybe you do want to share the risk, and that's okay. That's okay as well. I've got no problems with that. I just think if if you've got something great, hold on to it. Equity is the ultimate thing that will go up in value. Debt's not going to go up in value. You know what I mean? Like it's going to stay the same over time, but the cash itself is it's good, but it's not going to change in price, you know what I mean? The equity that you have and you own in your business Ultimately, in my mind, and I think everyone, what I hope they they take away from this, that is the ultimate place that you are going to get recognized financially. Mm. The more you hand over of it to someone else, the less you will receive of your hard work. I think a lot of people see that as like an easy win. But at the same time, it's like, oh, we raised all this money. I'm like, that's not a win. That's the one thing I can't handle is when people tell me, oh, this company raised $100 million. I'm like, and? Like it's very easy to spend a lot of money. There's a lot of really dumb ways to go and spend a lot of money. And a lot of companies, they just, you know, they close down. People forget all of the tragedies that happened in that way. And I think a lot of that is, comes from the mindset that, you know, we raised all this money, we're going to be awesome, but we're not going to actually figure out how to run a profitable company. And I think that's that to me is, some people make that transition, A lot of people don't, but I think if you learn that early and then you go and ask to raise money, a lot of people are going to give you much more favorable terms. Mm -hmm. Nice.
3: You bootstrapped your way to finder.com.au being a big company in Australia with a very memorable jingle. Then you started launching overseas in the US in 2015, UK 2017, now Finders in 83 countries. What was the experience like uh, going overseas and trying to crack some of these big international markets? And what were what some of the things that you've learned from that?
4: The first thing you learn is that Australia is a very small place. It's very hard to get out of Australia, to get out of the Australian mindset and just think international. It's, it took a long time to do that. If you're one in a million in New South Wales, there's there's probably another five people like you, right? But in, in America, there's you know 300 or 350 people like you. And that's a different level of competition. There are a lot of smart people with a lot of capital, with a lot of other smart people working with them doing very smart things and competing with you and you, you you quickly learn what it's like and what it's like to play, you know, going from a small pond and being a big fish to going to a big pond and being a small fish. And it's humbling and it's, it's, it's terrifying in some ways, but what it did, I think it tests your actual business model. It says, is this actually a business? Is it actually something that can compete on the world stage and be 10x better than everyone else? That's the question. And in my mind, I think it actually helped us build a better company in Australia. It's not been easy. It's a very competitive markets. You basically start a startup again. It puts pressure on your processes, put pressures on your, on your communication channels. You know, I, I'm in Poland right now and it's not easy. It's, it's, I think it's 8.30 in the morning here but it's it's probably some other hour for you guys over there in australia you can't actively manage people all, all around the world and so you learn new ways to manage and new ways to lead i think the best thing i would suggest if i was going to take an action is get your business right and really humming in australia first a well-oiled machine and then go and expand it.
1: it's an interesting thing to think about One of the things that you're doing at the moment, and that is sort of living the dream of both Ren and I, and that's running the the Finder's VC arm, Finder Ventures. Can you tell us a a bit about what you're you're looking to, I guess, invest in? And what are you seeing in the Australian VC world at the moment relative to other countries that you're doing this in?
4: We built a a little cryptocurrency brokerage. That was one of our first businesses. We caught that train and we learned a lot about blockchain, learned a lot about kyc finance all those kinds of things cryptocurrencies obviously we have some investments in that area in blockchain as well that was one area we've made some some investments and now we're looking at fintech so we've got some we've got a play coming up it's a big one it's a it's a new application that we've built for finder it's going to be launching the start of february we've been working on that for over a year and a half now actually and it connects to your bank account and it, you know, it does some really, really smart things and helps you helps you run your finances a lot smarter, which is kind of cool. We've looked at other areas as well, but the, the, that's sort of where we've started. A lot of it's been, you know, we've got a, an investment in a, a Bitcoin mining operation as well. And there's just a lot of opportunity in that space. It's just finding the right investments, I think, is it's kind of interesting. A lot of the scene right now, I'd say, in VC... Is there's low interest rates, so everyone's looking for a better return than your one or you know, one and a half percent that you get in the bank. And what that you know is sort of driving is, I'd say there's pretty cheap capital out there, and valuations are so high right now. It's disgusting. I just think eventually that whole bubble is going to catch up, and you're going to get a lot more of these wee works where you know it's a big Ponzi scheme and Valuation and round after round leads to doesn't materialize to a real company, and that happens. You know there are other companies that are going to get funded. I think funding is quite relatively easy to get right now because people are looking for investments. I think the venture capital business in Australia has started to get a lot more medium term, medium to long term. They're making actual bets and investments. They're not looking for an immediate IPO, which traditionally, Australian, I'd say VC and, and, and investors were looking for a one to three year investment, then looking for an IPO and get their money back out. People who are willing to bet and they don't necessarily want to see an IPO, they want to see you grow your business, and they want to see you create a great company. That's what's starting to change, You're getting much more sophistication. And the reason for that is I think you've got entrepreneurs that have built a business, sold a business and they've come back to Australia, and they're starting to take new bets and teach the next generation of entrepreneurs. See, the reason why America at its core has such deep and and amazing expertise, and I guess just in business in general, is that I believe there are multiple generations of entrepreneurs that have passed on Wisdom and knowledge to future generations, and continue to invest in them in time. Whereas in Australia, you know, we've only really had, you know, what one max generation of tech entrepreneurs, or you know, this entrepreneur scene. It wasn't really cool, you know. You go back to the 80s; it wasn't cool to be an entrepreneur. Whereas now, you've had a, you know, you've had some go through, make money, come back, and now they're investing. They understand the dynamics. And that's why I think you're getting a much more sophisticated VC. Mm.
3: That gives us hope for future generations of Australian technology companies.
4: 100%.
3: So Fred, you touched on crypto there and we want to pick your brains about crypto a little bit because you're involved in the space and uh, I think it's fair to say you're you're a fan of crypto as a Concept and as an asset. So, if we start generally, why do you think crypto is you know a good technology or a good asset class to be interested in and to invest in?
4: Let's sort of look at that in two different ways. Fundamentally, when I think of cryptocurrency, I think of there's only really if you were going to invest the only cryptocurrency I'd ever consider personally, and that's not financial advice, is Bitcoin. And i and I can talk about why. Why is that? Well, fundamentally there's a couple of things at play. Today, right now, this is being challenged. Central governments control the money supply. And if you look back in history, you go back in time, we have currencies, right? Currency is, you know, the Australian dollar, the US dollar. It's a representation of value, but it's not a store of value. Does that make sense? Every single currency in all throughout human history Has gone to zero, every single one. And that is because they get manipulated. And the only way to offset that at its core is to buy assets that store value. And well, you know, the classic asset that does that is gold. Gold over time has, you know, appreciated in value. But actually, if you break it down, you know, it's just, it's just maintained its value as everything else has inflated. And there's a real potential crisis coming up where right now central governments are trying to bootstrap, that's an interesting word, but probably not bootstrap, but trying to fuel the economies all around the world with very low interest rates. And my contention is eventually they'll, they'll go to negative interest rates. And that creates a real problem. So the IMF published a paper where they talked about what happens when you know they need to keep this, this show going, where essentially, where are you going to store your money? Where are you going to store your value and wealth? Where Basically, they need to keep the money printing. They need to keep the inflation going. In other words, inflation is just basically the stealing of money by governments on people. And, that, and, that, and the Roman Empire did this by basically getting gold coins and stuffing them with lead. At the end of the Roman Empire, there was only 3% gold left in a Roman coin. The actual word's called seigniorage. Rothschild said, if you want to control the people, control the currency. Now, Bitcoin, there's no CEO of Bitcoin, there's no one to call, there's no company behind it. It is a decentralized organization. And it is an absolute miracle in humanity. It's not, you can't see it right now, but in the future, you people will look back, that Bitcoin is worth something. People see it as worth, it has value, because currency at its core is just a a concept of people attributing value to things. Bitcoin is like digital gold. It's rare. There's only 21 million Bitcoin, and there'll only be 21 million Bitcoin mined. But the key thing and the key similarity between gold and it being a store of value is it's, you know, fungible, it's, there's all these properties got of stores of value. I can't think of them on the top of my head right now, but essentially it's the difference between currency and money. Money is something that stores value. You know, you go back to 2016, there was a guy, he dropped his hammer and there was his friend next door. He gave him a, a metal detector and he said, hey, can you bring your metal detector around? This is in the north of England. He brought his metal detector around and he was trying to find the guy's hammer. He couldn't find it. Anyway, he starts picking up all these things. He puts his hand in the ground. And he picks up all these old Roman gold and silver coins, and he calls the archaeologists. They dig up 1.7 million pounds of gold. That's 500 years ago. This stuff was buried. Gold maintains its value. If you got you know Australian dollars right now, put it in the ground and waited 500 years. How much do you reckon the Australian dollar would be worth? It'd be worth nothing. And Bitcoin does the same thing. Bitcoin is like a representation of digital gold. There's scarce supply of Bitcoin and there's a scarce supply of gold. There's 1.4% of gold inflated every year, in other words, dug up out of the ground. But that maintains value. And the thing about Bitcoin, Bud, is it's very hard to seize someone's Bitcoin you can't take it from someone. And it's also extremely fast to deliver and pass around to other people. And so when you get into cryptocurrency, you start with Bitcoin, that's the biggest one, the biggest brand. And then you go and try these other ones. But the ultimate Bitcoin, you know, people who believe in it, they start at Bitcoin, go and try other cryptocurrencies, and they always come back to Bitcoin. And you realize the beauty in it. the Absolute miracle, really, of what it is and what it will become. That's a long story though.
3: uh, No, it's uh, it's (laughs) it's interesting story, yeah. (laughs) So I'm interested if you can expand on your view on some of those alternative coins because a lot of the properties that you spoke about, about Bitcoin, the fact that it's decentralized, the fact that it's permanent, uh, the fact that it's scarce, they're common for any cryptocurrency. So why is it that you think Bitcoin is more beautiful, more applicable, more useful perhaps than some of these other altcoins?
4: Well, I think the other old coins, unfortunately or fortunately, are centralized. Are they all? There's always you know one person that's controlling the code. It always comes back to I don't think they're truly decentralized. It happened with Ethereum, for example. Ethereum rolled back, and that created a fork in Ethereum. But that means there's people underlying that. Whereas with Bitcoin, there is a group of people but it's decentralized in, in such a way again that no one is the central controller of it. And so you can't shut it down. The government can't shut down because they can't go and arrest someone and put pressure on them. It's like BitTorrent. You know how you can't shut down BitTorrent? It's still going. Because BitTorrent is a decentralized...
3: Like file sharing platform?
4: Yeah. It's never going to get shut down because the governments can't shut down BitTorrent. It's just not possible because it keeps moving. It's continuously decentralized. And that's the same with Bitcoin. You've got now got a non-central bank currency that no one else can control but the code the code controls it and that's and that it exists that 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 you know it's dropped you know 90% in a day and still survived and it's had attacks all you know it's 10 years old now Conti- you know i think the euro is like 15 years or something or 20 years old this coin continues to survive and not be hacked and not be broken it's a thing of beauty the difference between Bitcoin, I believe, and these other coins is that I think it's hard. It's a, it's much stronger. It's much more secure. It's just a harder currency than, than anything else.
3: So, Fred, you were the blockchain entrepreneur of the year in 2019. So, you're obviously very close to a lot of the innovation that's happening in this space. Can you tell us about some of the interesting applications that you're seeing of crypto and of Bitcoin that are coming along, you know, different entrepreneurs, different companies that are doing interesting things in this space these days?
4: Don't get me wrong. I think there are other projects and cryptocurrencies that will survive, but I don't think that their value is something to invest in, if that makes sense. But there are some absolutely brilliant uses of blockchain. And I think they're kind of like hobby projects, but they've gone past that. I think the interesting part right now is the decentralized finance. So it's called DeFi, but you've got a lot of projects where you stake money with them and they immediately lend it out to traders and they pay you interest. You know, there's a project called Nexo, it's paying eight percent interest right now. And in our current, you know, market, what it's doing is essentially cutting out the gap between, you know, it's basically margin loans to traders and they lend them out at, you know, I don't know, 15%, whatever it may be, and you, you get a cut, right? So the bank is sort of cut out in between and it's direct to the customer. And I think that's a brilliant application of cryptocurrency. That's that's magical. You know, Facebook's Libra coin stablecoin, everyone's saying, you know, it's not going to work, whatever. There are lots of stable coins out there already that are very successful with, you know, millions of dollars deposited into them. And I think that's what people don't realize is that it's already happening. It's already there. Just that Facebook put a big brand to it and made it mainstream. You know, these things just all take a lot of time to cook and happen. Stablecoin is the idea that one coin, one of these cryptocurrency coins, is an exact representation, say, of a US dollar. And one of the challenges with Bitcoin is you know, its its price is very volatile. I think over many, many years, the price volatility will stabilize, like gold did. Gold took a long time. You imagine in the start of gold, imagine when, when it first began and I came up to you and I said, Hey, man, hey, Ren, can I give you some gold for your cow? <laughs> and you're like... Oh, bro, I don't know. I don't really want to rock. You know, I'm like, nah, this is really valuable. It's super scarce. No one's got it. There's only a limited supply on the earth. No one, you know, this will last forever. You can, you can, it'll, it'll continuously, and it looks great on jewelry. And, you know, eventually people will use it in their iPhones. But you're like, oh, I don't know, bro. I'm not really sure about it. You know, so the price of gold would have been super low. You know, offer a lot of gold to, to get it, right? That's the way people are looking at Bitcoin. They're like, oh, you know, it's so volatile. And, it's just going to take a lot of time, and eventually, it'll prove itself that it's it's a it's a system. It's a beautiful system, and it's something to invest in to so your wealth. That's the way you, you want to look at it. Obviously, don't put all your money into cryptocurrency. Hmm. Only put in what you're willing to to lose. All those kind of things, because it's a it is a volatile market right now, and a lot of people can't handle that. Hmm. But I think you know if you can look like into the future and see where things are going. I think there's some really brilliant applications that I think gaming has used it. Gambling uses it very effectively. You know, there are a lot of a lot of challenges there. UNICEF use, does it really well where they scan people's identity and they use a cryptocurrency to make sure that that individual is actually getting the donation. You know, there's a lot of corruption with donations and that's working really well as well. You know, it's just going to take time.
1: Fred, I'm not sure if you've been able to convince Ren to get into Bitcoin, unfortunately, his last purchase was at the very peak back in, when was it? December 2018 or whatever yeah. it was. So, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, not the best, but yeah, I mean, incredibly interesting, you know, listening to some of the applications that are coming and and your thoughts on it. Before we jump into our final three questions for the interview, just want to say a big thank you for um, what has been a, a, an incredibly interesting and, and diverse conversation and and very different for this show. So I appreciate you taking us through particularly entrepreneurship stories. It's been quite interesting. But we always finish with three questions for all of our guests. Before we do, though, we know that Finder is about to release an app and you made mention of that. Keen, if you are, to uh, give us a bit more info on, on what that is, when we can expect it to hit, hit the market. From what we hear, it's like, it's going to be quite quite good.
4: I deny that this will be a revolution in the way people compare in Australia. We'll see what happens. I think that at its core, this app is a new way that people connect and expect to a comparison site. And the way in which it's done today is, in my mind, it's the old way of of looking at comparison. And what I'm trying to do is reinvent the category. I'm trying to change the entire industry in and of itself. I'm trying to change the way people compare. And I want to make it easier. I want more people who don't compare to compare because I want it to be that easy. And this app, hopefully what it'll do is it connects to your bank account and with the new open banking laws, you basically, it's all safe. It's got the government involved and things like that. But essentially, it looks through your bank account and it tells you and automatically compares all your products for you. And it tells you where you can save money and it just keeps monitoring that for you. And I think that's the way it should have been in the beginning. But, you know, we didn't have those technologies. You know, things take time. I think if you look back in the history, in it's interesting you talk about it, where I've come from and where I'm, what I'm trying to do, you go all the way back to where I've started. I guess my vision is to change the way people live their lives with a product. That's my goal. I want to create something that people use every day and they appreciate it. And obviously, I, I can now afford to invest in myself and in my crew. In doing that, and this application, it will be hopefully some of my my and my team's greatest work. That that again, I think will help a lot of people with their finances and 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 help them just make it easier and, and save a lot of money.
3: Well, we're uh, we're very excited to see it. Looking forward to when it launches early this year. So yeah, it sounds very interesting. But Fred, as Bryce said, we, we always wrap with the same three questions. So if you're ready, we'll jump into them. So the first one is, do you have any must-read books?
4: 100%. percent you got to read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is uh, not negotiable for me. How to Win Friends and Influence People. That book really affected me and I, I love that book. Are you talking about if you want to be an entrepreneur or is just, just life in general?
3: Anything in general that you consider um, you know, must-read?
4: I think the other one... You must read is if you want to build wealth is the richest man in Babylon. It's a short book. I think it's about forty five pages, seven chapters, and it basically tells you how to how to build wealth in your life. You know, I think those three books they've really helped me. I know I'm into kind of the self help stuff because I like to borrow people's ideas and I sort of remix them. And but there are fundamental principles on this earth that you need to learn, and once you learn those, you can start to play the game.
3: Nice one. Second question is where do you go to for investing or crypto information?
4: I use a combination of sources. I personally don't really, when I talk about investing in, in cryptocurrency, it's quite simple for me because I'm only really looking at Bitcoin, I just look at the price so I have a ticker that I look at. I use a lot of apps, I read a lot of news, analysis, I speak to brokers, I speak to and I read their analyst reports. I like investment houses, and I like to read their um, their thoughts. And I go to their their seminars, and I see where they where they're going and what their trajectory is. And there are some niche ones, some really beautiful niche ones that I, I love to see their ideas and where they're going and what they think of the world. I think there are some really good investors that have niche little blogs, and you can read those. I have a few apps, and I read that read the news from them. I use Robinhood for my stock trading. I find that that application quite good. And the news that comes from it, that they do a relatively good job of making it relevant to the stocks I'm interested in. It's a combination of all sorts of those things.
3: Nice one. And then the last question, if you think back to your 22-year-old self starting your entrepreneurial journey with Freestyle Media, what advice would you give to your younger self?
4: (laughs) I'd probably say it's all going to be okay and just have faith in yourself a lot of the times i think that i lost my way was when i i lost faith and you know i've had these you know dark times and things like that and if I figured out how to get out of those faster, I probably would have been good. But I think I needed to do that because I think that's the trigger moments when I realize I need to make a change. When I'm feeling that way, it's time to make a change. And that kind of, when I learned that and I understood that, I feel like kind of aligned to myself. I could hear myself. It just takes a long time to learn
1: that, to listen to yourself, really. Good piece of advice to finish on there, Fred. It's been an inspiring conversation. And I hope the budding entrepreneurs on the other end of their headphones at the moment or in their car or wherever they are have been able to take something out of your journey and your experiences. You know, it's been fascinating listening to your story. So thanks for sharing that and very much looking forward to the Finder app hitting the app store and we'll keep in touch. But again, thanks for joining us all the way from Poland.
4: Oh man, thanks so much. And guys, subscribe to Equity Maids, everyone out there because... These guys find the great content. They're searching for it. Keep subscribing, guys. This is, this is where it's at. These guys are doing
1: <laughs> Appreciate it, Fred. Thank you.
4: See you, guys.
2: Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional.